Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. My family thinks I'm crazy. Podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most. Because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady. Like, oh, here we go, Mark. Off again with your... Mark being Mark again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air, it's like therapy, you know? If I can't talk to my family about this stuff, I'll talk to you, Matt, and all our listeners. Yeah, so who are we talking about today, Matt? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. I'm Mystic Mark, and tonight's returning champion is Charlie Robinson, host of the Macroaggressions podcast, among others, and author of The Octopus of Global Control and The Controlled Demolition of the American Empire. He joins us tonight to continue our discussion here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy this episode with Charlie Robinson after an excerpt from John Perkins and Confessions of an Economic Hitman. Thank you. 
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. And with me is a returning champion, someone who's joined me here and on another version of this show twice before three times maybe if my memory isn't serving me but i think it's twice this is your third time welcome back charlie robinson the host of the macroaggressions podcast co-host of the union of the unwanted the author of the octopus of global control and the collapse of the american empire i hope i got that last one right and i wanted to start off by asking you if you think this American empire is collapsed. I mean, are we at the, are we on the other side of the collapse at this point in time? Do you think what we just endured over the past two years was the end of, well, what I grew up in and what you grew up in, this American sort of society characterized by, you know, sort of strong free market, we're told, strong military. Are we seeing the end of that? We're seeing the end of that for sure. Yeah. But, but it's not the end of the collapse. Unfortunately, they are just getting started with that because there's a lot of different components to it. They, they, they still have to, in fact, the trigger event that Berwick and I predict is the collapsing of a major bank that will then have a trick, you know, cascading effect and pull a bunch of banks down with it. The currency will be when they've destroyed, when they finally have destroyed the U S dollar, and, and their plan is to replace it with a, a central bank digital currency that's programmable. That is when they will feel like they have actually really transitioned from the old world into the new world order. And that is the hill to die on for people that are wondering like, well, what happened? You know, when do we officially get worried? You know, we're in this sort of slowly boiling pot that's being turned up and, it's like, when do we get worried? Well, that's that's the place where I get worried, like really, really concerned is the is the moving away from cash. And, and of course, cash, is, you know, like the U.S. dollar has been in a digital format for for a while now. And it's, you know, a lot of us get paid direct deposit or we use credit cards or or whatever. PayPal has been around for a while. None of this stuff is is new, but we've always had the option for cash. We've always had the United States dollar in a physical, you know, we see the the stacks of money and we we understand that you you can you can still work around in in society with actual cash. But they'd like to go to do away with that. So that everything is trackable and everything is is measurable. And most importantly, if you get on the wrong side of them, they can turn off your access to your money or they can turn off the way your money works or how long your money is good for. They can set like a light a fuse on it, have it expire at a certain time. So it's it's a real devious component. Berwick and I wrote this book, The Controlled Demolition of the American Empire, and we talked about like how we did a comparison between how you take down an actual building, you know, how you identify the support columns, rig the detonators, push down the plunger, clear the debris, all this, you know, we did step-by-step eight parts on how you, how you go about taking down an actual building and then how you would go about taking down this American empire. And some of the, the, the steps are, are remarkably the same. You know, you have to identify what's holding everything up. You have to look for those support columns. So you know where to put the explosives and one of the support columns that we've had for a long, long time has been the U.S. dollar. And that is that is rigged with explosives right now. And the minute they push that plunger down and blow the dollar out, that's one of the 
support beams that's keeping this whole thing. It's not the only one, but it's one of them. And if you hit those all, all at the same time or at a relatively short period of time, you can have a, you can destroy this place. And in fact, Berwick and I suggest that the end of the American empire isn't even necessarily a bad thing. You know, that there's, there are a lot of components of it that need to go. And, but it, it doesn't matter whether we think it's a good thing or a bad thing. It's slated for destruction. It has been rigged with explosives. Some of them we describe as like, like NAFTA, or these trade deals that that Bill Clinton put into place in the mid '90s. That was we described in the book as it like lighting a, a 30 year fuse, you know, because it doesn't really affect the economy all that much in the '90s. It's just we've made a decision we're going to move all the manufacturing capacity out of America and, and out to Asia. But it certainly does. It takes a while to be felt, but it's felt now the rust belt, you know, that, that Ohio Detroit area just decimated. No, no more, no more manufacturing jobs in America. 50,000 warehouses, 50,000 manufacturing companies have, have just left in the last 25 years. So that does like, that's a slow burning fuse that's been going for a while. It kind of guts out the middle class. And, and so there's a lot of things that have been done that, that take like a long, you know, they take a while, uh, education system, private prisons, things like this, that just, they're, it just causes society to decay. You know, you remove all the parents out of the homes, you put a bunch of them in prison on bullshit drug charges and things like that. And next thing you know, you get a generation of kids that grew up without parents and they're easily manipulated. And that's what we have now. We have a bunch of kids that have, that have grown up in, in a, in, in a situations where the government has been intentionally trying to screw up their, their region. And, and, and then there's a price to be paid for it. And that's kind of where we are right now. We're at a, a generation where the money's not good. The education level is poor. People don't know what to believe except what's on television. Television's constantly lying to them. They're telling them there's a hundred different genders. You know, nobody is like all the younger kids are like softened up in the head because of this. It's really, it's dangerous and it's frustrating and, and I wish we were past all of it. I wish we were in that clearing the debris part of this experiment because, because that's when you can rebuild and that's when everyone can say, all right, well, we get an opportunity to do things differently and maybe we can make this a better world. But instead, we're going to have to go through some pain for a while. And I'm, I'm not looking forward to that even a little bit. Mm. Yeah, that's not easy to hear. It's certainly not easy to contemplate the reality that we might be facing i'm curious about your thoughts on where we should focus our energy because it seems like there's a few strains of perspectives within this realm they're the folks that are more of the prepper type who take the isolationist route there's the Mm -hmm. folks who want to go and and tear apart their local government and replace it with something that agrees with their values. And then there are others who maybe are apathetic and and choose to do nothing. I mean, there's probably a a variety of other options, but what do you recommend? What do you think people should focus on? Well, I can understand people that, that fall into any of those three camps. I can, I can understand the apathy. I, you know, obviously I wouldn't, 
advise going that route because it's it's not productive. But I certainly can understand feeling demoralized right now with everything that we're going through. Um, Mark Malone has done a great job talking about local governments and and working on that and how you he 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 wants to make sure we differentiate between governance and government and and how that works and going local and i think that that's a really good idea and then like you said there's the isolationists that are like i just want to be left alone i can relate to that too look i think in the end there's not going to be any one solution that works for everybody but berwick and i talked about this in the in the conclusion of the book where we wanted to explain how dangerous things can get towards the end but also at the same time remind people that there are reasons to feel optimistic about this. And, and, and we painted this picture of uh, 26th, 2004, Banda Aceh, Indonesia, the people that live there and in, in, in Thailand, parts of Thailand, woke up in the morning and realized, went out to the beach and there was no water. It's all gone. They'd, the ocean, they've been there their whole lives. They're used to walking out there and the ocean's there. And they went out there one day and the ocean was not there anymore. And they didn't know what to do. And people, some people walked way out as far as they could, you know, and they found, Hey, there's a starfish and there's a shell and there's, you know, look at all this interesting stuff that like the ocean is just gone. But the, the animals knew what this meant. And the elephants were all heading, stampeding up the hill and, and all of the animals were running up the hill. And the people that had been there for a while, they were older. They were up on the, they were going up the hill too. And it was only the inexperienced people that were taking selfies out on that beach and didn't realize that when that water went away, it meant that there was a tsunami coming and it was going to get, it was, the water has to go out for it to regroup and then it comes in and then it comes in in waves and waves and waves. And if you have the experience and you know what you're looking for and you know what the signs are when you see them and you trust yourself, you're going to be in a position to do something about it. So you ask like sort of how do we, you know, what do we do or how do we prioritize this? Educate yourself first. It's like the, oxygen mask in the airplane thing. Put it on yourself first before you help your the kids, you know, and everybody else. Talk to the people that will listen to you, that know you, that trust you, that know that you're not insane or you're not just talking about this stuff because it's, you know, for for no reason. You 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 talk to reach the people that you can reach. Explain to them that this tsunami, this proverbial tsunami is coming. That that that's going to create a lot of chaos and get everybody that will listen to you to higher ground and, 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 and everybody else that wants to laugh at you, you don't have time to explain it to them anymore. It's, we don't have all day for this. This is, if you understand, get yourself to high ground. If you don't, I can't help you. Not now. It's going to be too late. And I hate to say that because I want to try and wake everybody up. I mean, I, I want to, I want everybody to come out on the other side better for the, hell, just alive really, but, but better too. And there's opportunities for that. You know, you can really put yourself in a, in a position to, I don't want to say profit from it because that sounds awful, but, 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 but not be as impacted as everybody else. If you are, 
if you recognize that the, that the banking system is a house of cards and can collapse. And when it does the money that you have in your bank account is not your money, but it's somebody, it's the bank's money and you're an unsecured creditor. If you know that you need to have your money out of the bank, you need to have, I mean, whatever you need in there to function and pay your bills fine. But, but the rest of that, get it out. You need to have some gold and silver and I'm not licensed to give investment advice, but it's just like, look, if you know that the, the prevailing currency that you currently have in your pot, in your hand, you have a stack of these bills. If you know that those bills are going to be worthless pretty soon, you just want to convert them into something else. And that, that could be gold. That could be silver. That could be food. It could be in, you could trade, you could educate yourself on set. You could buy books, whatever, anything else or just about anything else is a better use for that money than staying in a federal reserve note form because it's not, it's losing value through hyperinflation. They want to get rid of it altogether. There's a massive push to go digital. So the dollar itself is slated for destruction. If you're holding that, then you're holding a time bomb. Get it into something else. If it makes you feel better, just tell yourself, I'm going to convert some of my money into gold and silver, and then I can always convert it back. I can always sell it and get US dollar. You know, it's not, nobody's saying this has to be permanent, but you got to be proactive. You've got to trust yourself. You've got, it doesn't make you a conspiracy theorist to see this stuff coming just makes you observant. And and we're so trained to like wait for the television to tell us when to be scared or when to be happy or when to be you know angry or whatever. If you're waiting for the television to tell you now's the time to be prepared, you're never going to hear it. They don't want you to be prepared. So this is like where you have to trust yourself. This is where you have to say, I know what I see. I see bad things coming. I don't wish bad things. I certainly am not trying to make this happen. And I don't, I'd rather good things come, but I don't see good things in the future. I see bad things in the future. How do I get a couple steps out of the way so it doesn't just whack me right in the face? And how do I tell, talk to people about that? So I, that's that's kind of where we are. That's kind of where our book was when we wrote. It came out on Election Day 20. No, it came out the Friday before Election Day 2020, and it was a best number one bestseller on Election Day 2020, which is funny because if you buy the book, you'd never – never vote again, but it, but it's like, we're not trying to say that we know exactly how everything is going to happen. Like this is going to happen first, then this, then this, and this. It's a combination of these things, but we just know that something bad is coming. Mm-hmm. We want to boil it down to that. And if you see it too, and if you feel it, or you, you're opening your eyes and you're, you're getting a bad feeling about this stuff, you're probably right. And so Take advantage. I mean, I guess the good news is, and I and I don't want to be negative about it. I know that it's it's going to feel negative, but the good news is you can do something about it right now, as opposed to like say, I don't know, an earthquake that just kind of comes out of nowhere and you're not really prepared. You're prepared now, so you you unfortunately have the responsibility of of acknowledging that there's time to do something about it. So now you actually are forced into action, which I think is a place a lot of people don't want to be. They kind of want to just sit back and watch and you can't do that anymore. We got to, you got to sit, you you can sit back and watch to a certain extent till you understand. And then you got to do something so that we're in the do something phase right Mm. now. Absolutely. Yes. And I stand corrected. I appreciate you being so gentle with your correction. It's the controlled demolition 
of the American empire, not the collapse, although it is collapsing. It's collapsing. It, it's, it's the, it, but that's the thing. You, you, it's, it's not happening just by chance. This is something yeah. that's been set up over yeah. the course of how long? When do you take the ticker back on the timeline? Like, where do you think it's stuck? Because a lot of people, they'll talk about World War One. They'll talk about Jekyll Island. They'll say yeah. the Civil War. They'll push it even back to the War of 1812. Where do you, you know, see the America sort of taking a turn towards this? I think when I think when they opened up China, probably in the early 70s and that that where they had in it in the sixties. I'm not trying, I'm not, I'm not arguing against the people that say that it started in the civil war and they, you, cause we can look back and find all kinds of crazy things that happened there that set us down this path. Obviously the f- f- Jekyll Island and financial, uh, the federal reserve and well, what's and, relevant, and, right? You're, you're yeah, saying and all that stuff. You're that, saying that, this, that, that, this is relevant that, to, to our time period. All that stuff is relevant, but, but to be more precise, you think China because of the whole, you know, outsourcing our jobs and economy? Yeah, because once you do that, I mean, as the difference between like the 40s, 50s, 60s, and it was that America had, we had the ability to, we had our own manufacturing. You know, we were, we weren't dependent on having to go to the store to get right. everything, the store being China. And, and now, when you, you know, you can say, well, we don't need to do that anymore. That's sort of what you do when your country's just kind of coming up into this technological advancements. And we're well beyond that. We could be the management class and we can let the factory workers be China. Okay. Well, that's fine. But, but when you need the goods and you don't have them, now you're dependent on China. Now you're fully dependent on that where you get 97% of our pharmaceuticals from them. Not that not that pharmaceuticals are, are good for you, but I mean, we are a nation dependent on pharmaceuticals for a variety of things. So we, we have that interdependence now on China. We have them for the manufacturing. They hold a lot of our debt. We've, we've outsourced a lot of work to China and now we're, we're less self-sufficient. And because of that, <clears throat> we're now impacted by, you know, if China decides to do something crazy, like sell all of our debt, all of our treasury notes that they hold or stop exporting things to us just one day or decide that they're not going to send us medicine just because there's not much we can do about it. So we're in a, we're, we, we've become less self-sufficient. We become more dependent on other countries. And when you do that, it's, it, it puts you in a precarious situation. Now we've been able to sort of get, get by for the last 50 years or so by and it hasn't really impacted us too much, but I don't think that we can do that much longer. We're so dependent on these other countries and now, and they know that of course. And so if they decide they want to change the rules on us, they can do it. And we don't really have much leverage to, to fight back. I mean, aside from like threatening to go to war, which we do all the time and and that's crazy, but we're, we're, we've, we've outsourced a lot of what made America strong and independent. We've given that away because the people that were making these decisions for us were like the David Rockefeller, Henry Kissinger's, the big new Brzezinski types that want a world government anyway. So they have no, they don't care about us as, as America. They, they would, in fact, 
they're plotting ways to destroy us. And that's part of the the way you do that is you do the things that they suggested we do in the seventies, which is outsource all of our manufacturing and, and get crazy with our money and, and, and no longer peg it to gold, depeg it from gold and let it just become a reckless currency. And, and, and that's, and we're, you know, you got to, you got to pay the bill at some point for that. And that's kind of where we are. We have a currency that's been hyperinflated and completely devalued it didn't have to be that way. We could have kept it pegged to gold, which still wouldn't have, uh, have been as as good as not having the Federal Reserve in the first place, but it's, it would have been a lot different. And, and so we've made some catastrophic mistakes that I think were done intentionally to weaken us. And, and what a shame, you know, what a damn shame that is. Mm. Yeah, and I think it's revealing through your research and other people's research, we're revealing that... Uh, United States is not this sole independent body of influence that it could have been. You know, it seems like there's some sort of foreign manipulation where, you know, we're the overboss of China and India and these other third world type countries that have more, maybe we'll say, domineering governments, less individual freedoms. And then we have countries above us, like the Vatican, the city of London, Washington, D.C., and, and probably Malta and a few other little, like, nameless, placeless, uh, you know, pockets of, of elites, right? These seem to be above us, where they're using the United States to, to f- you know, push their military agenda by using our military. I mean, it doesn't seem like America is completely to blame and that's kind of the argument that gets raised against folks in our sort of perspective here we talk about these things we we get told oh you're being nationalistic you're being a jingoist or something like that you you think america should be isolated we need to work with all these other countries it's like well you know if it doesn't fly by our laws, but it flies by their laws, why is this company legally allowed to do what it's doing in our country? But it's, you know, by our laws, breaking tons of laws in these other countries, right? I mean, shouldn't they have to play by those rules in those other countries if they're going to play games here? I mean, that makes sense to me. Yeah, but we're just giant hypocrites. And we, <laughs> we, we, and we like to, to, you know, say you can't do that or, you know, we can do this here, but you can't do that over there or vice versa. Yeah. It's, it's very, it's, it's very troubling. And, and I, and I think I agree. I agree that there are, there are powers above the United States that are forcing the United States into things that they don't want to do. But I don't, I don't think it's nationalistic or jingoistic for us to want to preserve or protect or improve America because the there's there's this term that there's there's this there's this sort of philosophy that these globalist guys always go to when they've created some new catastrophe some some new catastrophe whether it's 911 or it's covid or 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 global warming whatever you know climate change all this nonsense that they're pushing they they do the same thing they say a problem this big is is too big for one nation to handle on its own. A problem that is this big affects the whole world. So if it affects the whole world and it's too big for one nation, surely it needs a worldwide response if we're going to defeat this enemy of COVID. 
And so that's how they join. That's how they convince these, all these countries to come together. This, this, this push towards a one world government. It always starts with a problem that's just so big that we can't handle it all on our own. We need to come together as a, as a, as a group and fight against this, this thing. And that's the trap of globalism. That's the trap they want us to walk into. They want us to say, well, we need a governing, we need a, a, a supranatural national institution that's above all these countries that can coordinate, help coordinate with all these, these groups really fast. I don't know, like, let's call it the United Nations or something. We can, we can, we can have the United Nations sort of oversee all of these countries and help them out. And when we have, you know, a big world event where the world needs to come together and then what do they do? They go out there and start creating these world events that justify the world coming together, which justifies the United Nations coming in and being in charge of everything. They say, well, you know what we really need? We need a climate change plan of action. So we're going to reduce carbon output. We're going to do a carbon taxing system where, you know, it's for the benefit of the world. And everyone's going, yeah, yeah, it's benefit of the world, benefit of the world. And it's like, you just walked into a trap. So this is, this is, there's nothing wrong with being nationalistic. The globalist people and the people that are, you know, that run, you know, that, that think like they think the world economic forum and the United nations and all of these things, they, they definitely want us to be dismissive of the nation state. And I'm, hell, I speak at anarchist convention. I don't like the nation state either, but they want us to, 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 to get rid of national sovereignty and join up together with them. And, but, but nobody's interested in that unless there's a catastrophe happening, unless there's some, some thing that's coming. And, and they know that, which is the reason why when they write the limits to growth, the, the, the white paper that turned into a book for the club of Rome, they say in there, if in order for us to have this one world government, we're going to need a catastrophe that sort of unites the world. Like, you know, and we've decided that climate change was, has fit, will fit the bill for that. In And in deciding that climate change would fit the bill, we needed to find a common enemy. And the common enemy that we found is humanity itself. That's what they talk about. So it's like, it's like, we're going to go get that enemy. All right. Well, we've got our, our torches and our pitchforks and we're going to get that enemy. All right. Who's the enemy? The enemy is you. And it's like, Oh, and you start getting paranoid and you start looking, maybe that guy's the enemy. Maybe that guy's the enemy. And that's what they're doing. So we're, we're, we're fighting an invisible enemy that looks just like us. Right. And he's around that corner and he's going to get us if we don't join into a world government to fight it. Man, that is that is brilliant, and you know it you, is brilliant and devious and all those things. But we have to stand in appreciation of their level of psychopathy. Well, and I should clarify, the way you said that was brilliant. That's what I meant to compliment. They are devious. I wouldn't They're call awful. them brilliant. <laughs> I wouldn't call but, them. But brilliant. they, but they, that they see, they know how we'll react, mm. and they know how to get us to because. At our core, we're good people. We right. want what's best. I want what I want the world to be uh, safe, and I want it to not have 
catastrophic weather patterns and, and all of that stuff. And if I thought that they were offering a solution that would actually fix that stuff, I might be interested in it, but I know what they're doing and you know what they're doing and your audience knows what they're doing. They're lying to us about all those things. And they're preying on our emotion and they're showing us the skinny polar bears floating off on the little ice sheets and everything. And they're, and they're, and they've got Greta and they, and this is not accidental. They use young girls because they're perfect shields because you can't dunk on them or else you look like a dick. So you, you know, they, they send them out there to talk about how the climate, you know, is how we're killing the world and everything. And everyone feels emotional, but it's, 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 it's genius level manipulation, but it's manipulation and, and we see it. And so I think it's like our, it's our duty to talk about, you know, to, to wake people up. But again, I'm not going down on that beach and screaming at all those dummies that are taking selfies of themselves out in the, out, uh, you know, and not, don't realize where the water has gone. I don't have time for that. Neither do you. Like we I'll explain it all to you when we get up the hill, but you got to get up the hill now, man, because these people are, are, are coming. Right. Unless you got a surfboard and know how to ride that wave. <laughs> don't don't go and try to save those people. I, I agree with you. And I, I think the trickiest part, and you sort of stepped into it, and we're friends. I'm not trying to gotcha here, but you said something that I want to pick at, which is, you know, I don't agree with nation states, neither do the globalists. You speak at an right. anarchist convention. Now, yeah. my suggestion is do you think that there are agent provocateurs who would set up a movement like that to embroil a population with those beliefs, therefore, you know, creating the, you know, right recipe for that catastrophe where one, you know, group is divided against the other and, and, and it, the result is, you know, a torn apart government that then gets seized upon by some global power. I mean, we've all seen that sort of scenario yeah. kind of play out in third world countries. Do you think that could be happening here in the United States? For sure. And I think that, I think that, that that's the problem when you, I come from the sports world. So it's like in the sports world, you know, your team starts off the season and they have such high hopes and high expectations and, and then things start to go wrong for a particular team. And it's just the wheels are falling for whatever reason, it's not working. You're midway through the season and, and the fans start saying it's time to fire the coach. And it's tempting to go in there and fire the coach. In fact, you probably do need to fire the coach. And I say this as somebody that is currently living in Denver and is in our Broncos are so bad after we thought they were going to be good. And there's calls to fire the coach. And I'm for that because I think the coach sucks. Here's my point. Who are you going to replace the coach with? If you don't have that replacement figured out, then don't make the change because it matters because that that vacuum will be filled by somebody. So in the, if we're going to replace the government, if we're going to say the government sucks and it needs to go, which is true, the government sucks and it does need to go. We need to make sure that we have a better solution there because somebody will step in and fill that role. Somebody will step in. And in fact, I would suggest that people are actively plotting to get the government to fall apart so that they can step in and take that. Obviously, the United Nations, it wants that. And these globalist organizations are, are deeply interested in that. I think the best way for us to not fall into that trap, especially those that are like against the nation state into the anarchist 
movement is that you can't you can't fix this government. This government is is like I don't know. I maybe like computer programmers would just say that like you're the foundation of the code is wrong or you're using the wrong programming language or something. There's just a better way to do it. And this isn't current the way we're doing it, isn't it? So I think we have to build parallel structures, parallel components that are just better, that just work better and let that suck off the energy of the, of the, you know, from the current paradigm because like as an example with banking and, and things like that, we know that the Federal Reserve, you know, fiat currency, all of this is a, is a scam. And it's it's been a scam for a, forever. But it wasn't until there was a better option when people started to get excited about that. And we'll use Bitcoin as, a, as an example of that. Something that doesn't have the ability to be inflated, you know, the, the, in, the units of of measurement are capped at 21 million things like things like that. And, and, and that everything is transparent. Everything is publicly viewed. You go, okay, well this solves two of the major problems that we had. There was, it was, everything was secret and they just could print money whenever they wanted. And the worst people in the world owned the magic printing press. So like if, if we can get rid of those, those things, then now we could complain about how, how, screwed up the money system is, but somebody went about doing something about it and they built a better mousetrap and that's how you do it. I think now, I don't know if we're going to have time to build a better system of government than the current system that we've got. We might have to just, uh, you know, reimagine society uh, differently, but maybe that starts with maybe, maybe it doesn't all happen at once. Maybe it starts with the currency and that leads to something else. But, but, but uh, you know, look. I, to your point, I think that I think that you 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 have to be a little paranoid of everybody you, of what their intentions are when they step into. The, I mean, even when I go to like a Narcopulco, it's a great anarchist convention and everything. But I'm looking for feds too. You know, I'm looking to see who the fed is that slipped into this event and is is you know I'm 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 paranoid about that stuff, and 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 I think that it, I think it probably pays to be. So we can we can we can despise the the current system because it's despicable, but let's make sure that we have a better option for those that agree with us and want to want to move to, you know, you want to leave this party, the fiat currency, two party system, all of this, the, these very, you know, controlled choices. Do you want to leave that? You think that party, you think this system sucks? I do too. What do we have set up? What's our option? Cause we're going to need somewhere to go. Let's figure that out. So that I think is where is where we are. And and again, I'm not going to pretend to have all the answers to that. And I don't think the anarchist community has all the answers to that, but they're at least thinking of it and they're on the right track. And they've got some people that are smart that see the world differently and and don't have a vested interest in it's not a zero-sum game where they have to in order for them to make money, that you have to lose money. There's ways in which everybody can be elevated, but and we need to get back to that that way of thinking. Mm. Yeah. And it is it is interesting to contemplate the Bitcoin situation. I mean, me being only 28 years old, I remember 
I think it was like 18 or 19 when Bitcoin started to be talked about. I had a buddy who was buying all these drugs on the, the dark net with Bitcoin. And this kid, right. you know, piled up cash from putting a very small investment in Bitcoin when it was nothing. And then it got yeah. some attention and immediately, you know, he's got 10 G's or something crazy like that. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, he's buying all kinds of crazy drugs. The kid's I don't know where he is now, but at that age, I'm like, this is, this is strange. You know, this seems like a criminal thing and it didn't seem like a freedom type of, of, you know, currency. And then we learn more. And to your point, you know, with the blockchain, there's a certain amount of anonymity that's afforded where in the same breath, there's a sort of transparency that's also Mm -hmm. really important. And, I'm curious, you know, in light of this bank free, you know, Bankman freed character and and all of what he's done, it seems like the bankers have tried to repute this currency, you know, by by throwing in these scammers and schemers into the cryptocurrency world to maybe make the whole thing just seemed dodgy and not worth investment. Do you think that's what's going on? And, and, and this is actually like a, a tool that we can use cryptocurrency to fight the banks and fight the Federal Reserve? Or do you think it was always just sort of like a, a trap, like it was set up by the bankers in order to get us to this ESG? Well, that's a really good question. I don't think, well, first of all, I'll differentiate and say that not all crypto is the same. Right. And some of it, some of what is great about Bitcoin is that it's transparent and trackable and traceable. And some of what's bad about Bitcoin is that it's trackable, trans, transparent, and, you know, and, and all these things. So there are, there's, you know, there's Monero, which is privacy centric, also has a limited supply. So there's a couple different ones that people like that you can, that you can use. And, and look, it it is dodgy. The the industry, any industry that starts up, you know, with that ideology, that cyberpunk ideology and, you know, the idea that like, we've got this currency, it's digital currency. What are we going to do with it? The first thing is like, let's buy some drugs, you know, (laughs) like that's, that is, that's, you know, I mean, that's where we go. That's where our minds go. We're like, well, we've got the access to do this and we can go on the dark web and no one will know what are we going to do? Let's, you know, let's do all that. So, so there is going to be that for sure. But what I've found is that, is that as this stuff gets a little older and gets a little bit more mature, some of the old timey banker guys start to take a look at it. If they, if they, if they ever come around to it, they, they take a look at it and they see some things in it that they like, that they really like actually. And uh, I think that once you get a little bit more adoption to it and, and it, it, and the, the scamming component sort of falls away, then then, then crypto is here to stay. I think that it has to go through these cycles. It started with Mt. Gox, like in 2013, there was a big, big incident, but, but, but Bitcoin wasn't worth much back then. And then, you know, it's happened several times with some of these exchanges that go, you know, of course you're going to attract the sketchiest people when you have the ability for like get rich quick stuff. So you're going to have scams, you're going to have con men, 
You're going to have grifters. You're going to have, I mean, that also describes every central banker. So you're going to have, you're going to have influence from the government. The government's going to want to know what's going on with this. They're going to poison the well as much, as much as they can, if they see it as a threat. But once you work in, all these things are just parts of the cycle of, of going through something transformative like this. But once you get through all of that and get to the end, then I think Bitcoin stays. I think some of the, I think most of the cryptos go away, but I think some of the bigger ones or some of the established ones, some that have some that have value that serve an actual function, not, you know, I'm, I'm a Shibu Inu, you know, I, I, my coin is about dogs. It's like, that's just not going to make it in the, in the long term. but you have a coin that nobody can track and nobody can trace because of the unique ring signatures that, it, that it's made with. Oh, well then you've got something, you know, now you've got untraceable cryptocurrency. If you use it right and, and there are ways that nobody can find out what you've got or how much you've got or where it's going. That's valuable. People are always going to, to want that. Hell, the government's going to want that. You know, the, once the government figures out or once money launderers figure out how to use Monero the right way, then, then that, then it's, then that's a brand new asset class for them. So, so a lot of these things are going to be driven by criminality for sure. They always are black market uses and things like that. But once that settles down, I think people will find a real use for some of this. I mean, clearly we're going digital. And, and, and so your choice is this, do you want to be tied into a central bank digital currency that the government controls, or do you want to be using a currency that has more of a, a, a open, open source? You can read the protocol of uh, behind Bitcoin. You can, you can read all of the, you know, the, the science, the computer science behind it, and you can see what makes it what it is. And, and you can decide, I mean, I personally am skeptical of everything. <laughs> you know, I'm skeptical. I, I, I've, I've, but I've lost money in, I've made money and lost money in, in the most stable stuff too, like real estate, you know, like it's relatively stable. It's like you buy a house, it's, it's physical, it's tangible, it's there and you can still lose money on that. So, so I think Bitcoin has a, has a role, but I think these scamming people, I mean, I think that the, the Sam Bankman Freeds of the world expect them, expect more of them, expect once the actual banks get involved in this to find some more, you know, some more fraudulent activity happening because that's how banks operate. So it's like, if you want to play this game and if you want to get involved in the, the crypto world, you have to have the stomach for it because you're, you're going to be watching in real time with your own money how rocky of a road it is to get widespread acceptance of something, especially something that the government doesn't want people to have widespread acceptance of. It's going to be a painful ride. They're going to throw everything they can at you. Censorship. They're going to talk about how everybody that uses it is a criminal. We've already heard that. How you, it's only used by tax cheats and things that I have no problem with that. But, you know, the, they're, they're going to try and demonize it as much as they can, not because it's actually bad, but because it's it might be good and they don't want you to know about it. So it, there's a lot of it, it's a it'll be a fascinating sort of a case study in psychology to watch how the government demonizes these things that can that can put them out of business. Bitcoin can put can put central banks out of business. And they I think they inherently realize that. 
And, and if that is to happen, then a lot of that control structure goes away and they don't want that. So, so it will be a fight, but I think it'll be a fight, you know, that we're, we're like in the early stages of So, you know, I've talked to a lot of people that know, I, I know just enough to be dangerous in the crypto world, but I know guys that know a ton. Berwick, obviously, right? right but he was buying Bitcoin at $3. So, so when you talk to these guys about the role of cryptocurrency, it's not, it doesn't mean money to them. It's, it's beyond that. It be, it's like an ideology. It's like, it's anti-state, you know, and once you get into that, <laughs> then you get zealots and, and, and it becomes cult-like in a way. And I think Bitcoin has some cult-like properties to it, you know, uh, not bad ones, but just, you know, some group think behind it. But in the end, I think that people should have a little bit of a little bit of everything, a little gold, a little silver, a little Bitcoin, you know, to the extent that you can, a little cash and, and just be and just be aware that that this is a real pivotal time and that the governments are trying to do whatever they can to make us on them. And if there's something out there that makes you less dependent on them gold and silver are two things that don't have a counterparty risk to them. You can own it, but it doesn't come at the expense of somebody else. Then that makes you less dependent on the system. And they hate that because once you become less dependent on the system, as you know, then they're, they're not needed anymore. And so people stop paying attention to them and they can't have that. So they have to keep you, keep you in the system and dependent on the system. And, and part of that means dependent on their, their currency game that they have going. So, so just be aware of that. And, and, and again, I'm not licensed to give investment advice and I'm not trying to tell people that this is what they should do with their money. That's a personal decision. Do whatever you think is right. But, but, but for sure they are trying to scare people away from crypto and definitely people should be, have a, a healthy sort of weariness to some of the scammy components of crypto for sure. Don't look at it like, Oh, everybody's just getting rich because there's a lot of, a lot of thievery going on there too. But, but again, don't just be afraid of it either because the government tells you it's scary because a lot of the things the government says are scary are actually just scary to them because they, they move you one step away from their control. And, and of course they hate that. Right. Right. And, and, you know, the most fearful people project the most fear onto their enemies and their, their friends. Right. And I think that's what we have here with our, our societal, you know, this sociological psychology, right? To use $2 million words there. We, we have this situation where, you know, within this realm, it's all too reasonable to be this paranoid. Whereas, you know, my family, for instance, or the average person that I could poll if I took a walk around the block, you know, th- they're going to have maybe a more dependent ideation towards government more of a a a father child relationship or mother child relationship with the government where it, it seems that people you know can't reconcile that there's anything but their best interest in mind right and and that yeah is kind of disturbing when you learn, you know, what's written about in your book, The Octopus of Global Control, The Con- Controlled Demolition of the American Empire. I mean, you, you lay out the evidence. And I'm curious, you know, do you think that we're doing a disservice to the whole by 
becoming independent, right? I mean, would would it be wise of us to maybe try to to get ahead of whatever this societal sickness is that's causing our governments to be imposing like this? Do you think fleeing them is only going to exacerbate it? Or, or or do you think that this is just the way things are and, and, and we, we can't expect to change the whole system? Well, the system is dependent on things remaining relatively consistent with those people in charge. I don't, you know, I don't want to abandon society and I don't want to, I really don't want to have to live outside of society. I think the best way for us to, to show the rest of the world that, that the government in its current existence is, is unnecessary is to show them how it's done. The problem with that though, is that when you get out into like the real world, they show that, that once you get to about anywhere from 200 to 300 people in your tribe, your group, the idea of like a socialist type of community, a commune type style of living, it breaks down. It breaks down after about 300 people. It just doesn't, it, it just doesn't really work all that well. So you've got to find a system that you can, sh- that you can build out that works better and then, and then use that as the, you know, as, the, as the sales pitch, just go here, look at the, they're doing this right now. They're trying the opposite way. Their sales pitch is the fourth industrial revolution, the build back better. You know, you'll, you'll own nothing and, and, and be happy. You'll own no cars or anything. So they're, they're trying to build a different version of society and sell you on that. And I'm not, I'm not interested in their version of it. We, as the, I don't know, the anarchist community, I'm hesitant to say anarchist community because I think it means different things to different people, but the people that recognize that the current iteration of government is unnecessary and broken, we would do ourselves a favor by building a better, like a prototype, you know, a better version of it. And then saying, this is what we're doing. If you're interested, come join us. If not, you can still stay with your current, your current form of government, which hates you and tries everything in their, in their path to steal your money and make you sick and make you dependent on them. I I mean, like if you, if, if your the relationship you had with your government was a relationship you had with like your significant other, you'd have filed a restraining order against it a long time ago. You know what I mean? Like it, it is, it is so horrific to live in the presence of this current government with all of the things that they constantly do lie to your face, tell you you're misremembering things. The gaslighting is off the chart. They, they, they manage your money. They take your money. They tell you who you can talk to. I mean, it's the, it's the controlling boyfriend from hell in this scenario. And we're just like, we're so like beaten down. We're just like, tell us what we can do. You know, I, I need to go fishing. You know, where do I go to get the fishing license? It's like, if you're asking for where the fishing license department is, you're broken. Yeah. Go fish. Right. You don't need a license from your government to go fish. Stop. Stop that. You've been brainwashed. There's no reason you should be asking that question, except that you've just been conditioned. And we all have. I mean, I'm, I have a driver's license, for God's sakes. I, same thing. I'm as, I'm as guilty of this as the guy that asked for permission to go fish. 
why is that? Why are we, why have we allowed that to happen to us? It's just, just, we've just been told that's the way it always is. Well, it doesn't have to be, maybe it is the way it, it always has been. I don't believe that, but even if it was, that doesn't mean that it has to be that way in the future. So let's, let's, let's find the things that work well in our society and build off of that. And the things that don't serve us cut ties with them. But, but, but we have the power collect. We, the people collectively have the power. All of these forms of government are predicated on us participating and following and doing what they say. But if we decide even a small segment, if we decide that things don't, aren't going to happen, guess what? They don't happen. So we, we have to kind of remember that. And I think that it, 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 it serves the empire to condition us to believe that we are small and insignificant and we don't matter and that the, and, and nothing's going to get done because it's just the little us and, and that benefits the state. So if we can remember that, well, collectively we, we actually are the ones in charge and the problem is getting organized. The problem is getting everybody because we don't all agree on anything anymore. So, so to, to, we can't even agree that the, our current government sucks. And I would think that would be a pretty, pretty, you know, low hanging fruit right there. Can, can we all just agree that the current government sucks? And then like, you get people that are like, well, actually, and you're like, okay, you know, <laughs> like, what do you need to see, man? It's so broken. But, but if we could theoretically, on some, I don't know, some issue, collectively come together and say, our kids are not wearing masks at school. It's not happening. We'll keep all the kids home until the masks at school goes away. Guess what? The masks at school goes away. That's how it works. So, but that, and, and that is how it's done. Can we get there? Boy, I don't know. With the mainstream media constantly dividing us, the political parties dividing us, the, the you know, it we're I'm feeling less together as a nation than I ever have felt. And I think that's by design. And the, the, the optimist in me makes me think that that must mean that we're getting close because if they're really trying this hard to keep us divided, they meant they must be at the breaking point themselves. You know, they must be really paranoid that we're going to figure this whole thing out and, and, and run these maniacs out of, out of office. COVID almost did that. Oh, it's so close. You know, we're so close to seeing maybe, maybe we're going to see it in the next year or two. Maybe, maybe once the, you know, the, the results of the, you know, the sicknesses caused by these injections really become obvious like they are in that SPARS pandemic document that the fictional scenario that they created becomes obvious and everyone rises up and, and the government has a big problem. Maybe we're, maybe we're just not quite there yet, but I, I hope that if we could just, just temporarily come together, go back to fight. I'll fight with the blue haired people later, but like for now, if we could just focus on the, on the real important things, I think we could, I think now is a time to, to make some good changes. I hope so. We'll see. Mm. No, I appreciate your optimism and it's not, it's not underwhelming. It's, it's, it's overwhelming, you know, what's going on. And I think that's why people have become pessimistic. So you know the optimist optimism is is well received here at least and you know i'm i'm wondering you know this may not be your particular expertise but as far as the constitution goes and and you know our founding fathers 
Do you think we're repeating history in a certain sense? Do you think those people, you know, set us up for this situation we're in? Maybe what they did was sort of, they, they couldn't have seen what would happen in the future, obviously. So, you know, it's not their fault. But do, do you think there's anything about the the constitution and the government that our founding fathers created that's worth keeping or 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 worth preserving i mean because there's some people who who believe that you know we we should just go to another country let's go start a commune or a thing in in another country and it's like well hey you know if you go to that other country now you got to play by those guys laws those guys rules at least in america we know what we're sort of dealing with to some extent you know yeah well what are your thoughts on that yeah. Well, again, it goes back to that replacing the head coach. Like you can replace the coach, but you better have a, b- a better coach mm. ready to fill up, fill that space. So it's like, we can, we can get rid of the constitution if we want, but we better have something, something better to replace it with because if we don't, they will. And, and, and so I'm, I'm bare, I'm hesitant about that. You're right. It's not my, it's not my area of expert expertise to be like a constitutionalist or anything like that. I did recently spend some time in Philadelphia and I went through the revolutionary museum there in Philadelphia and you kind of get a, you get an idea of like what was happening, you know, like the British were, 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 were coming, you know, to, to take us back because they didn't appreciate our, our way of life. And you go, Oh, okay. That's, that's when we were rebels. That's when we were like, the anarchists here in America, we were going to do something different. And now we've become, we've become the empire. Now we've become that, which we tried to escape from. Right. So, you know, it, it, it is, it, it's, it's, you know, what, what made us different was our constitution. We, we set it up a little differently. We didn't want to have, you know, you come out of this, out of this paradigm where you've got kings and serfs and all of that. And I think a lot of people are like, we don't like that system. That system doesn't benefit us. Let's do something different. Well, now we're in this quote democracy system and this democracy system has a, Ooh, you've got it right there. <laughs> yeah. There I, I, I don't mean to interrupt, but I'm, I'm from the constitution state. So yeah, you know, you this is this is somewhat of a personal interest. I might not be an expert, but I I get a little worried when I hear that kind of stuff because I I I've studied the history here and and I know for a fact that like the people that started this state when it was a colony, they hated tyranny. They did not want to be a part of that at all. Maybe they had some weird religious ideas that have sort of become bygone by now, but but they helped preserve you know this chance that we have now to to express ourselves the way we do and learn as much as we do and and yeah i I don't know what the solution is but i definitely think that our our united states has been infiltrated by the elite and and that's why this controlled demolition is taking place because those ideals that were set forth by whoever settled here, you know, whoever they may be. I'm, I'm sure some of our greatest heroes are nameless because we have guys like Alexander Hamilton who get a bunch of credit, right? And he was mm-hmm. helping the banks over in England come back here like literally eight years after they got freedom. He's like, yeah, come on back. Let's set up, you know, the same rig tax system you had there. Let's do it here. You know, it's right. like, so I know, you know, we're both speculating to a large degree, but it, it's it's something that, you know, I think more Americans, unfortunately, 
need to learn about. Our education system has been infiltrated as well. And a lot of this stuff I've only been able to find because it's like local to Connecticut. So I can go to the library and I can go and look up like, oh, the battle, this battle in the revolution that took place in Danbury, Connecticut, or this battle that took place in Stamford, Connecticut. And Mm -hmm. there's excerpts and thoughts and philosophy interspersed in the history and it's crazy to think like, you know, we have this idea that, oh, yeah, we're the smartest we've ever been, you know, at this point yeah. in time in 2022. Meanwhile, these men who were raised on dirt floors were writing like amazing, like cursive and like their right. thoughts were so, you know, poised and, and precise. And I don't know. I think we, we've we we've taken a, a decline. But when it comes to this globalism it's hitting us on a few different fronts. We've covered a few of them here. And I think the, the, the other front that's really important that we can't leave out because we're using the medium right now is big tech. You know, there's this, there's this sort of Silicon Valley force of, you know, the intelligentsia that, you know, tells us that, you know, oh, well, these politics are offensive, they're, they're misinformation, you know, they've, they've taken the truth, they've taken knowledge, and they've politicized it, because they're, you know, so to speak, in control of the encyclopedia, or the, the, the meeting ground, right, where people are going virtually. So what, what do you think the, the the collapse of that looks like do you think big tech is going to be affected by this do you think we're going to see like a web 3.0 that's more freedom oriented or or do you think we're heading towards a, a digital gulag yeah well that's the that's the problem is that we are definitely headed towards a digital gulag they've got and, and if they get that one of those integral pieces that the central bank digital currencies and they can get everything you know, it's one thing to have digital money and you have Bitcoin and these, these coins. And so you could talk about that being digital and everyone goes, well, hang on a second. You're saying CBDCs are bad because they're digital. It's not so much that they're bad because they're digital. It's bad because they're programmable and they can, and, and that part can make them, you know, quite a bit different. They can program it so that it doesn't work. If you say the wrong thing on social media, you know, they cut it, they cut your access to your, to your money, or, you know, you, you get a universal basic income that's paid to you in, I don't know, us digital dollars, but it only works if your social credit score is high and things like that. So I think big tech is playing a huge role in this. They're going to, in the future, play a a very big role, which is the reason why the world economic forum is so in in a hurry to partner with them on everything, including FTX. You know, they, they were, they were the crypto partner of the world economic forum. And of course they collapsed now. So, so we have the, these, the role of big tech is going to be very important and who is in charge of it matters. So are we going to get a web 3.0? That's a little bit more privacy centric. Probably we're going to have somebody build that out as a, as a backup to what we are currently walking into or walking into a digital prison where everything is controllable. I, I was talking to Whitney Webb about this, about how, you know, your cars, your, your electric cars, you know, the idea of you going on a road trip, like, Oh, well, we're just going to, I'm going to go from this big city to that big city over the, in the future, no, you're not. They, they, they those. First of all, you you according to them, you won't have a car. 
there will be sort of shared Uber style ride sharing component. But even if you did, that car would be geofenced where it can't get there. It just is not allowed to go there because it's it you're not allowed to leave. So there's some components of this technology that I think are very, very scary and dystopian. But like anything, it depends on whose hand this gun is in, right? You can use it to keep the bad guys away or you can blow your brains out with it. You know, so it's like it just depends on what you want to do with this technology. We're gonna have some bad guys. Silicon Valley is a dangerous place and the the venture capital firms that are funding these, the, you know, this, this new you know, digital, I don't know, the di- digital world that we're going into with digital hills. I mean, that keeps me up at night right there. The fact that they've got tracking devices in these pills that you swallow and then they can monitor where, you know, when it, when you need to take another pill and uh, this just sends me down a really dark place where I don't like to think about that, but we're in that age. We're in that, you know, the analog age is gone. We're going to have to deal with this. You're going to have to be careful who has the power in this scenario. Cause especially with artificial intelligence, making a, making a emerging in this, this new environment and the Peter Thiel's of the world being in charge of, of this technology and then partnering with the department of defense, like, I don't want to get people too scared or freaked out about it, you know, but, but we have seen the Terminator movies and I think we have seen the Terminator movies for a reason. I think we have seen minority report. We've seen these, these things brought to life and shown to us as where we're going to soften us up to accept it in the future. And boy, I just have some real questions about that. I'm, I'm very concerned about the role of big tech moving forward. It can be used for good for sure. And and it can improve our lives. And like you said, we're having this conversation because of it. So you can't just say, Oh, all technology is bad. It's like anything. It just depends though. But I, but I feel like when you get these tech guys and you get them young and they're ideologically driven, like SBF was when he says, you know, I want to, I want to tackle the things with my crypto company. I want to tackle the things that are really important to us, like, like climate change and getting new vaccines out. You go, wait a second, wait a second. What are you talking about? You're supposed to be a guy talking to me about crypto. You're talking to me about vaccines. You're on the wrong team. You're the bad guy. And I, I, now I know who you are. <laughs> You're talking to me about global warming and vaccines are going to save the world. I know those are both scams. Therefore, I know you're a scammer. So we have to be very careful about who, who we let in, who, who is going to be in charge of this whole thing. Obviously, people have questions, big questions about Elon Musk, and rightly so. And, and I think that we should all remain a little bit skeptical of these tech oligarchs that are sort of presented to us, especially the ones that are presented to us as saviors. They're usually not anything of the sort. And so it's, it's going to be... It's just going to be a reality for everyone that's that's coming into the world these days. You know, technology is 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 ramping up, and and you're you're going to need to be you're going to need to be keeping your eyes on it because I think if the if the wrong people are in charge of it, then then we could be headed down a, a real dark path. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I I get skeptical when I hear only negative things about technology because I do believe there's a way through this where technology serves us and and, get, and gives us an opportunity to be more in touch with the natural world. And, and it seems like 
the environmentalism cause, you know, A, it pulls at the heartstrings of the naive, you know, women and children and even men of the world, especially the soy boys. But, Mm -hmm. you know, there is a sort of cause to protect the environment. I mean, there are big companies that would take up the opportunity to ravage our planet in the heartbeat if they could and and things like the federal parks service stop them from doing that so i you know as interesting as it is to to look at the federal reserve and see the crime that it is i really appreciate your point of like well we need to replace it with something better because you know we're not all the the Parks Service is probably like the only good thing we can say about the Federal right. Reserve. And even that's dodgy because of all the missing people that go lo- right. <laughs> loose in national parks. So, I mean, I'm not trying to defend anyone here, but I think we all need to stand up for our planet because it's obvious that we rely on it being healthy in order for us to be healthy. And, and yeah, unfortunately, there are people who are willing to you know, cut their leg to say, you know, whatever the phrase I'm thinking of is, they want to, you know, cut their nose off to spite their face. And, and unfortunately, you know, that's going to mean bad things for the rest of us who who are, are really small in, in comparison to these Goliaths, these corporate Goliaths. Well, I just had a great conversation with a guy who is on my Mount Rushmore of, I I don't know if it would be conspiracy research or anything, but John Perkins, he's the author of Confessions of an Economic Hitman. That book changed my life. Yeah, I remember you mentioned that. my life when I read that book. And I was able to have him on and and we were talking about that. And basically what his, he was a bad guy before he'd... but he didn't know he was a bad guy. And it, it, it took him seven years before he woke up and it was explained to him by one of the, his clients, who was one of the presidents of president of Ecuador, who had a PhD in economics. And he explained to Perkins, who also was an economist, what was really going on here. And what he, what John Perkins was doing was he was setting up these these deals for his company, the company he worked for, which was like the equivalent of Halliburton, you know, a big multinational engineering firm. And he would approach these countries and he would approach their the presidents and he would say, you've got this country that you're running and you've got this great topography and we can build this electro, hydroelectric power plant here. It, it, you know, it'll fit nicely here. It'll pay for itself in, you know, just 10 years or whatever. It'll generate electricity. It'll raise your GDP. It'll raise your standard of living. It's all good. It's all good. World Bank and IMF said you're good for it. I've already got a loan ready for you if you're if you're ready. And these countries, they'd sign on to this and and they would in and they'd build the the plant, you know, Perkins company would build it and it would start generating revenue, but it would never really be enough to cover the debt you know, to to the payments and they would fall behind on their payments inevitably because they were meant to fall behind on their payments. That's what they didn't understand. Some Perkins didn't really understand at first was that they were made to. And then when they did, then the IMF and world bank would say, listen, you know, they'd say to John Perkins, you need to go tell them like they need to pay, pay up. And if they don't pay up, well, then maybe we'll work something out. We'll, we'll have them privatize their lumber industry and sell it to our buddies, or we'll have them allow us to put a U.S. military base right there, or they'll we'll, we'll, we'll say they need to vote our way in a U.N. resolution that they don't want to vote our way in, but we'll just tell them they have to, 
whatever. Right. So this was the deal that he was making with these guys. And, and, and in the process, these companies were destroying the environment too. And once John Perkins figured this out, you know, he was, he was telling these guys like, listen, if you don't sign on to this deal, and in a cup and in two different instances, the president of Ecuador and the president of Panama, General Torrijos of Panama, they both said, we're not signing this. We're not signing on to this. We know what this is. We know what these guys are, are trying to do. We understand the math behind it. Not interested. And Perkins would say, you don't understand. If I can't get you onto this program, they will send the jackals for you. And what he described to me, the jackals meaning were CIA financed hitmen that would murder these guys. And in both instances in 1981, within three months of one another, both of those guys that turned down John Perkins offers blew up in plane crashes individually, killing them and their entire family. And they knew it was coming. And they knew that that was how the empire worked. So John goes through this whole thing, you know, this is in the seventies. He, he, then he has this epiphany realizes, Oh my God, I'm on the wrong side of humanity, changes his way, writes his book, and now dedicates his life to working in the rainforest in Ecuador of all places and, and, and actually raising their, their standard of living and doing all the things he thought he was doing. So it's like, you can still, you can be in the middle of this and you can be working in these industries and still not even see the big, game being played. You know what I mean? And so I was explaining to him, the reason why his book was connected with me so much was because when I read it, I was living in Las Vegas, selling new homes in 2007 when everything was booming. And we were giving loans to people that had no business getting loans. Like a guy that makes $10 an hour picking oranges was getting a loan to buy a $405,000 house. And that he was never going to be able to pay maybe for a couple months, maybe for a couple years. But eventually that mortgage rate adjust adjustable rate was going to spike up and he wasn't going to be able to pay for it and he was going to lose it and the bank was going to take back tangible assets. And I went, oh my God, I'm doing what Perkins is doing on a smaller scale. So that's why his book connected with me and, and, and changed my life so much in 2007. So you can, you can be in it and still not see it. And that's what's really crazy about this is that you can have all the information in front of your face. You can be working in the banking industry and never have any idea how it all really works and never know that you're a bad guy, but you can always turn it around because John Perkins did and he's written multiple books and he's done outstanding work in the rainforest. And he has actually been out there making a difference. And he's been protesting against the oil companies out there and, and filing lawsuits and doing all the things that you need to do. So yeah, there's hope, there's hope for us. Even if you were on the wrong side of humanity and you didn't know it, there's still time to turn it around, you know? Absolutely. And while what you were doing wasn't quite equivalent to having people's airplanes blown up, you no. yourself made an incredible turn. And, and I think yeah. you've, you've, carved a very inspiring path for yourself and I'm sure you've provoked many others to to look at you know relook at what they're doing and you know just knowing you know from your perspective from Mr. Perkins perspective how that operates the inner mechanisms of these industries that really you know promulgate our economy you know 
think of the tens of thousands of people who operate that way, almost ignorantly, yeah. you know, and no, yeah. to, through no fault of their own other than the, maybe they were raised to just have too much faith or too much naivete, and they've ended up in a position where, well, they can overlook the fact that they might be morally unreputable because their their bank is, is padded and they, they have a nice car yeah. and a nice home and all the things that make them feel secure. And in John Perkins' case, he thought he was doing the right thing because even though he was an economist, he was saying he was having this this debate debate, I guess, with, with the president of Ecuador who had a PhD in, 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 as, as an economist. And, and John's saying, we're raising your GDP. We're raising the level of prosperity in your country. And what this president was saying is GDP is the wrong metric to use because you, because you, when you raise the GDP, it doesn't mean you're raising the sea level for everybody. You're raising it for the rich industrialists and that it, it's disproportionate. It raises it for them and it lowers it for everybody else. So if you look at that GDP number, it looks like it's going up because it is. But if you notice the corresponding, the general public is getting poorer. And that's when John went, oh, no, you're right. That's what's happening. You know, and he explained it to me by saying, we talk about GDP here in America. We can talk about Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, and the Walton family having more wealth just between the three of those groups than 50% of America. It, you can manipulate GDP. You you can manipulate their stock portfolio and, and raise that up. And that will make it look like GDP is going up, but you've got 50% of America is getting poorer. And, but your GDP is going up. So you go, look, I'm doing it right. And they go, mm, everyone else is because, because it's not a level playing field and those, those, those numbers can be skewed. So even he thought he knew it and thought he was on the right side. And they, and, and this guy said, look at it from a different angle. And once he did, then it clicked. And then he understood the game. And then once you understand the game, you go, Oh no, no, wait a second. Wait a second this is a loan to own sort of mentality. This is, they're, they're not loaning money to these countries because they're in the business of making money. The World Bank doesn't need any more money. They can get all the money they need from these central banks that just print it on their magic printing press. The World Bank wants control and control is worth more to them than money. And when you fall behind on your payments and they're the loan shark, they control you. And so once I made that connection and I thought, oh God, you know, that's what that octopus, the octopus book, the first book I wrote when people were like, you know, talk to me about the tentacles and which is the most dangerous of the eight tentacles. I always say the banking and it doesn't seem like it because it just sounds like money and numbers and guys with suits. The banking is so much more dangerous and it's because of the, the economic hitman component that I, 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 you know, I, I just, I, I didn't, I didn't know what I didn't know until I read that book. And then it, 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 it changed my life. So again, I, I read that in 2007, I have an epiphany. I know that people all over the world are having that same sort of John Perkins moment in their own lives where they're going, wait a second, dancing nurses, hospitals are filled something isn't adding up here and it clicks that it's a scam. You know, mm. we, we've had that over the last two and a half years, we've had a lot of people have those John Perkins moments in their heads and they've, they've said, 
if this is a lie, what else is a lie? And that's a good start, man. I think that that's a good start to get people thinking about whatever your moment is, whatever causes you to think, I don't feel like I'm being told the full story or I feel like this is a, a is not the truth or you saw something in your own life that that showed you just how fraudulent this whole narrative is of of whatever covid in our case recently good you're on the right track you know it doesn't make you a conspiracy theorist to have questions about this it just makes you a human being that's trying to understand your world and trying to understand why we're doing it. you know i would always get in trouble with my teachers and they would say, why are you questioning? Why are you always questioning me on this stuff? And I said, I'm not saying you're doing it wrong. I'm just trying to understand why we're doing it this way. It's not, I'm not trying to say I have a different way of doing it. I just, I just need to know the why. That's all. And I think a lot of people are out there are like, I just need to know why we're doing it this way. Explain it to me. Mm-hmm. And then, then it'll make sense. And, and over the last two years as specifically, Nobody's given, you know, there aren't a whole lot of good explanations out there. So, so I think a lot of people are going, explain it to me like I'm three, you know, like have it make sense to me in a way that I can follow it because what you're telling me doesn't, it doesn't work. You're telling me I have to go, I can't go this way down the aisle of my grocery store. You're telling me I have to stand on this round dot that's six feet away from the person in front of me, but is two feet away from the person to my left and right. Like, what are we doing? here, you know, and you, you see these things, they don't make sense. And you just, you start to ask questions. Good. That's not disrespectful. It's not, it doesn't make you an oddball conspiracy lunatic. It just makes you having, you're having a problem with directions because the directions don't make sense. You should be asking questions. We all should be asking questions. That's why I appreciate like you it's why I appreciate like you and your shows that you do and everything. Cause you're about like, let's, let's ask the questions. Let's ask, let's, I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just trying to figure it out. Why are we thinking this way? Why are we doing it this way? I love that stuff, man. That's why your, your shows are, that's why your shows are popular because a lot of people are asking the same questions and they thought they were alone and then they found you and then they realized they're not alone. They just didn't know you were out there. So mm, thank you. Yeah. I, and I like you. I mean, I can't say I've worked in that industry, but I've had some, you know, awakenings while I was working, realizing like, what am I doing with myself? I, I can't be contributing to this system and, Starting the podcast was an excellent way to break away from that system and also, you know, take part in inspiring others to to do the same and and, in an optimistic way rather than a nihilistic, cynical kind of way. Because unfortunately, these conspiracy rabbit holes lead a lot of people to that mental state. And, uh, you know, I have to give it up to you for your show Macroaggressions being so popular and, you know, you sticking to the values that you do. I mean, your show is is focused, is concentrated on what matters. You know, you guys, with your show and your guests, you don't depart into, like, alien gray things and, like, tr- you know, targeted individuals and, like, the, the fringes that could really lead people astray, which I appreciate because those topics are fun, and I know you think they're fun too, but, yeah. you know, you do have a very serious approach to this community, which I appreciate. Your show, you, you know, it, it has a purpose. It's, it's valuable. 
Thanks. I'm just trying to figure it out like everybody else. I don't, I don't, I know a little bit more maybe because I write and, and you're around this information all the time. People are, will ask me like, how do you know that date? Like, why is that? I'm like, I don't, I'm not memorizing any of this stuff. I don't, I'm not setting out to, but when you type, you write a paragraph and you know, I gotta get rid of that. You write it again. And then you go back and read, it just sticks in your head. So I'm trying to figure it out. I don't have it. I don't have all the information. I'm, I'm trying to connect. That's where I liked when David Icke, his book dot connector came out. I go, that's just, that's a good name for a book. You know, that's a good name for him. You know, he's just the dot connector. I'm not making the dots. I'm trying to connect them it be for my own sanity. I'm trying to figure out how it all works too. I'm doing the same thing I did going through school, which is why I'm asking the teacher, why are we doing it this way? And if he's got a good answer or she's got a good answer as to why we're doing it that way, I'm good with it. I just, I just need to know. And co- same with coaches too. Same, same when, when I played sports, like, why are we doing this? If you could, and, and I don't mean it in a challenging sort of way, just explain to me why we're doing it this way. And someone, you know, co- good coaches and I've had good coaches. that will say, well, this is, we do it this way because if you do it the other way, this, this, and this can happen. And we don't have a answer for that. So if we, you know, Okay, good, good, great. Just as long as I can understand the logic behind it and the process, I'll be okay with it. But these days, there's been a lot of orders that have been given that once you push back on them, there's no logic behind it. There's no there's no science behind it. There's no there's no sanity behind it. You know, it's, it's we're going to take a picture of Stacey Abrams in, in, in this classroom and all of the kids are going to have masks on, but she won't. And you look at this and you go, trust the science. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't, I can't. And, and I refuse to. So, so I want to, I want to understand as much as I can. I want to push back on, on the insanity when I see it. And, and I want to talk about gray aliens and targeted individuals too. By the way, I have the best book in the world on targeted individuals. I didn't write it, obviously. A guy, a guy named Robert Guffey wrote it, and mm. it's called Project Camellio, and it mm. is really wild, man. It's yeah. about a guy in San Diego who becomes a targeted individual, and they fuck with him in a way that is really funny and really messed up. And anyway, so I'm promoting yeah. somebody else's book, but I read this book because he was on Higher Side Chats years ago, yeah. and it was like the first time I've ever listened to an interview and said, I got to buy that book. And I bought the book and read it. And I was like, this was great. So awesome. I want to talk about that stuff, but I don't have any particular information. I don't have any, anything helpful for that. So I try to stay out of it, but I'll, but I'll listen. Well, that's what the union of the unwanted is for though, too. Right. I mean, you, you do get a fair shake at a lot of those shows. And I, I forgot to mention ground zero day zero day zero. I'm sorry. I'm I'm messing up all the names of your stuff. We don't pretend to bring any sort of (laughs) education or information to that show. We just bring a bunch of ball busting and (laughs) shit talking and, 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 and that, that is, that is not meant to be an educator. I get a lot of people emailing me saying that show is a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun, but, but, but you're not going to learn anything. <laughs> well, there's a time and place for that. I like that. That's yeah. kind of how Juan, Chris and I are on our show Illuminati confirmed, but you know, I think for the most part, our culture, you know, is devoid of some of the things that 
for some generations that, that maybe would make us a stronger society, like ball busting. I mean, here on the East Coast, it's a little bit more a part of our culture to, like, you know, neg your friends and, and, and you know, because you love them, point out their flaws, right? It's not because yeah. you don't like them. And, and it's been inverted, you know, to where now people are too polite, they're too nice to the point where it's facetious it's fake it, it's yeah. it's almost you know slimy right to a certain extent not everybody you know some people just don't have time to to get to know everybody but i think why part of why this has happened is because we don't have rites of passage right like mm. you mentioned sports before and i think sports when done correctly teaches you that your biggest enemy is yourself it's not the other team you know, as a wrestler, that's what we had to learn. Like you, your your hardest time as a wrestler wasn't in a, a a match on the mat; it was in practice because that was that's yeah. the point. You got to push yourself to your limit and grow and become stronger. And it seems like with this whole participation trophy nonsense, I know you recently did an episode on on this concept and expanded on it. You know, it seems like they're not relaying that to children. Children are facing themselves and and they're falling into these pitfalls they're becoming easily manipulated to a certain extent yeah and it's there's nothing wrong with that's what i always appreciated from my my friends that were from from boston specifically boston i don't know what it is about boston they're the best shit talkers. They're the best, you know. They, they they did it in a way that was funny as opposed to actually and you can you can tell uh, since you mentioned sports, when you go, when you see the shit talking that happens at Fenway park, as opposed to Yankee stadium, Yankee stadium, it feels like really mean and like intentional and Boston. It feels like it's just guys busting each other's balls in the stands and yelling at the, at the fans. I love that. I grew up with that. I needed that. I, it, it, uh, you're right. There's a rite of passage. There's a, there's a, there's stuff that you go, you go through and you, you, you start at the bottom and you work your way up and you, you elevate yourself. I went to boarding school too. So I went, I went away like when I was 13 years old, moved away. So I went through that too in, in, in that sort of structured environment where there was most definitely ball busting early on, but you earn the right to bust the other guy's balls. Once you get, once you get up there. And I remember we would, we would, there was, there was a guy that didn't take it very well when, when we were freshmen. And I remember when we were juniors, he, I watched him try to dish it out to some freshman kid and I pulled him aside. I said, don't, you're not, you're not fucking with that kid. You cried. I remember you cried when we went through this and you went to the, you went to the head of the dorm. So don't pull this shit. You haven't earned the right to do this to that other kid. You know, I remember, I remember saying that to, I was like, damn, like, like I'm not going to allow this guy who's my own age to, to mess with the kids younger than us. Cause he was a, he was a bit of a bitch when he went through it himself, you know, and that check on him, you know, by me was something I was afraid would happen. I, I remember going, getting harassed when I was a freshman and in dealing with it the right way and staying friends with the seniors that rousted, you know, that, that tied us to the front row of the auditorium and left us there overnight. So that in the, you know, it's seven 30 in the morning when everyone came to the auditorium, we were, we were tied to the seats there. You have to have a good sense of humor about that. And if you do it the right way, everybody, everybody wins, you know, 
if you do it the wrong way, you know, and I feel like that's where we are, are right now in this generation. It's the wrong way. I want to, I need to get the authorities involved. I'm going to go to the teacher. I'm going to go to all this, you know, save that stuff, police yourself, deal with it. You know, I, part of this, it, that's, that's another part of the reason why I put out that participation trophy generation episode, which was, there's just a whole lot of people getting excited about coming in 11th place. And, and it's just, it's weird. And I don't, I don't respect that. You, you spent forever in martial arts, right? You know, there's a structure to it. There's levels to it, whether you're in the conspiracy world or you're in jujitsu or whatever, you know, there's levels and you and and the information that you have now was built upon a, a foundation that you developed a while ago. And it and it you, you take this information, it goes on top of of the previous information, or you take this this martial arts set of exercises, and it builds upon what you learned a year ago. And it and it there's a process to it. So many people don't want to participate in the process or they want to get mad because there is a process or the process is racist or the process is homophobic or it's, 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 it's ableist or all of these excuses that people throw out there. No, stop, stop, you know, being soft and weak. And if you're, if you're able to go through the process, it will, you'll be better off for it. So mm. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that we can get that turned around too in this world where, where, where we stop celebrating failures and we stop, and I don't expect, and not everybody's going to win at everything clearly, but stop expecting equal outcomes for, for, for everybody. This is a weird, a weird thing. And I don't think it's, I don't think we benefit as people from, from entering a race and expecting to win and then not winning and complaining that we didn't win and asking the winner to have to step down so that we can be made the winner because our feelings got hurt. Like what? This is crazy. So I'm, I'm hopeful that we can from society bring back stuffing dorks in lockers. It's the only way forward. I'm telling you, Mark. (laughs) Yeah. I think (laughs) it it might be extreme there, but no, no, I, I think there's a, there's a camaraderie there that you're describing that unfortunately falls vacant when there's this sort of elite classist hierarchy imposed upon students that's where bullying comes into place when children are isolated when children are praised because they have you know followed the the rules to the t the outliers are always oppressed and then they feel marginalized and they bully those who they think are are weaker than them who end up probably being even more marginalized students right Mm so you know i i I appreciate the humor. I don't think you're advocating bullying, but there is a certain camaraderie that we've lost as as men and and I think you see that especially reflected in, you know, a statement you made earlier where you you can't dunk on women. So what are they doing? They're using all these fierce women warriors to impose this yeah. agenda and it's very manipulative because the same men who are pop- propping these women up were the men that were, I'm sorry, oppressing those women how many decades ago, right? It's it's right. that same dynamic, but now they're being used for this agenda. So they feel they feel good. They're in the limelight, but the, it's it's total ruse. It is, yeah. It's you're 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 being manipulated again. And if if they put those those figures out there that you're not allowed to criticize. It, it's it's not because they're coming from a place of strength. It's they're coming from a place of weakness. They don't want you to to pick around at that 
at that narrative. They want to put something out there that will defend it. And and if it's a, 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 a you know a spec a kid on the spectrum like Greta who comes out there, I mean you you know you you look jerky if you if you if you go after her too hard. But the truth of the matter is that the people in positions of power know this. This is why you use Naraya in in ninety one, and you say that they were taking the babies out of the incubators and leaving them to die in the cold floor. Who would challenge a thirteen year old girl on something as as ridiculous as that? Why would she ever make that up? You, there's just a built in shield there that that deflects criticism, and so that tactic works. It works really well, and you get you can start wars with that tactic, which of course we have seen. And now we, we have it for the climate agenda. We're, we're starting to see Greta's been, been recycled. They brought in a new Greta who is like some skinny little chick with a short skirt on. And she's the new face of the mm. climate agenda. And it's like, well, you can't criticize her either because she's 20 years old and she says that, you know, the world's going to end in eight years if, if we don't get a hold of this climate change and you want to dunk on her because she's wrong and she's, but, but again, you're going to look like a jerk if you do it. So they, they're smart in a sense that they put these barriers up. Well, and but I think we, that's a result of that social structure we're talking about where, you know, they've taken the camaraderie of jest and, and, and pranking and, 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 you know, bullying is an, is a, on that same spectrum, but it's an extreme aggressive expression of that human yeah. nature, right? Cause it's human yeah. nature to want to compete with one another, but there's a friendly way to do it. And women, they're left you know, outside of that equation in a lot of cases. I, I mean, where I grew up, it, it felt like, you know, there were barely any girls because they all went to this private school in the middle of town. So we had like, you know, these sort of more tomboyish chicks that would be part of the crew. And, and they yeah. they resemble the same values that I do because they kind of grew up with that personality mm -hmm. of like, I'm one of the guys, you know. Right. And, and I think there was a certain like separation uh, of women for whatever reason, maybe it, it had, you know, they, their best intentions in mind, but it resulted in this sort of elite elitism where these young mm. kids feel untouchable and they feel like, you know, we have the, the great truth, which is something that every young generation feels is rebelliousness towards the old. Right. But now it's being manipulated. It's being inverted on itself. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they're going to, they're going to show us, they're going to throw a can of paint on a Van Gogh or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Or, like, or pour milk out at the, the grocery store. Like, come on. <laughs> right. 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 This is, this is performance art. This is, this is manipulation and it's used to get us feeling angry about, about certain things. And it works if you don't know what it is, if you don't know why it's there or what it's doing. But I, I, I've, I try to do the best I can to sort of sound the alarm on it. In, if for no other reason than if you understand why they're doing it and you see that it is an, it is actually an agenda and you can explain who's behind it and why they're doing it, then it takes the power away from them. You know, it takes, takes the, the, the mystery out of this. It, it, it's less emotional and it's more like, oh yeah, I know what they're doing. They're being paid by a group called, you know, say no to oil. And that, and that group is being financed by the, by the Getty Institute, which has made their money in oil. <laughs> so like, right. 
there, there's, there's a, there's a limited hangout happening here. There's a, they're, they're, do, they're doing, they're manipulating you, mm-hmm. you see, because the, because the last thing in the world you're going to think of is that the, the person that is pouring the, the paint on the Van Gogh because they're, they're so mad about oil is being funded by a group that made their money in oil. That's the last thing you would think of. But once you figure that out, you go, it's all fake. Hang on a second. What, what's going on here? Right. This is fake. And the next thing you're, you're, you're going to be telling me that, that, that some of the climate change stuff is being brought to you by Exxon Mobil. And it's like, yep, exactly. you got it. Exactly, because it's never. It was never about oil for them. It was about the modicum of control that they had with oil. And now that there's something better that they can turn off with the switch of a button, they're gonna go with that modicum of control. And it's even more fi- It's even more, you know, rarefied because some of these batteries. I mean, how how frequently do you find cobalt? Right, it, it doesn't occur everywhere on the planet. Like you know, oil seems to be at least the, some oil industry proponents want to tell us. That it's it's everywhere it's actually you know it, it's renewable it'll never go away the earth actually has sort of like a vascular system of its own where this oil is just being pumped and created through the natural tectonic action of our you know geological sphere i, I think there's an argument there that needs to be made because you look at this dirty electricity that's affecting people i mean and how how destructive it's been i mean look at the people who worked in the railroad industry during the the onset of rail of rails right they they all got these illnesses that resemble what people who work in front of computers their whole lives fall with you know it's it's very strange to see the similarities there i don't know if you're familiar with uh, arthur furstenberg's book the invisible rainbow but he gets into a lot of this stuff and you know, I think oil, you know, despite the fumes, is a hell of a lot safer than batteries. I mean, you pointed it out earlier with the geofence concept and how, yeah. you know, you you can't go very far with one of those cars. I saw a guy standing next to his car outside of a CVS charging it up. I'm like, yeah, that's real cool, man. I mean, it takes me five minutes to fill my car with gas and I can drive for however many hours. This guy needs to wait in a parking lot for two hours just to get what 10 hours of charge or, or 24 yeah. hours of charge. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. And I, I, and then you go deep into the, the, the term fossil fuel and you realize that the Rockefellers financed a geologist to come up with that term fossil fuels because it sounded like it would made it even more rare. Like it was just from the fossils of dinosaurs that, that are creating it. And then they say, well, well, we've, we drilled down well below three times lower than any fossil has ever been found. And that's where we get most of our oil. And it's the second most abundant liquid on the planet. And you're, you're just like, wait, what? <laughs> We're taught to, that it's, it's scarce and, and limited and all these things. Yeah, of course. So it has value in order for it to have value, just like the diamond industry. Right. You know, where they sit on the supply and then they they say, well, there is there's a limited supply. We're just going to release it a little bit at a time. This is this is how this is that mentality. This is why it's like we live on this beautiful, amazing planet and we have assholes like this controlling diamonds, telling us that they're impossible to find, controlling oil, telling us that it's it's rare and only a certain group of people know where to find it, which is not true. And 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 we 
we lived our lives in this paradigm and the diamond industry doesn't really matter to us, you know, for, for a daily basis, but the oil industry certainly does. And we've been lied to about that. And they're saying, well, we have to move on to this new, this new form of, of transportation, this electric cars and everything, because it's better for the earth. And we're, we're all about the earth. It's like, what about the cobalt mines in Congo in the democratic Republic of Congo? What about the child slave labor that you have digging up that stuff? Is that better for the earth too? Because that seems like it's worse. And of course it is. And then you, you know, it's frustrating when you go down these paths because you start to, you go like everything we're taught, we're told to care about is backwards and, or, 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 or we're placing an emphasis on this at the expense of this other thing, which really we should be focused on and that really matters. But instead we're like, trying to convert everybody over to electric cars when there's not enough material to make the batteries. Oh, and by the way, when your battery goes out and you need to get a replacement battery, it's going to cost you as much as the car itself because the batteries are super expensive. And if you think you're saving the planet, you're not because now we have a big pile of used batteries that we can't do anything with except rope it all off and call it a toxic waste site. (laughs) You know, It's, it's what an embarrassment, you know? Yeah. I can't, what an embarrassment to this planet. Yeah. I, I don't know if you've seen this, but I think in, in Georgia or or Missouri, somewhere, somewhere in the South, there's a place called the nuclear waste adventure park. And it's, it's nuclear waste that's, you know, buried under somehow many tons of gravel. And they have this like just like, I don't know, scaffolding taking you over this gravel through this park. And I sat there and looked at it. I'm like, who would go there? Like who thinks of that as a, as a fun, you know, day trip? Like, let's go hang out on top of a bunch of nuclear radiation, go for a hike. (laughs) It's like, it's an, an actual joke that's been turned into reality. Yeah. No, and some and and somebody wrote up a business plan and submitted it to a banker and got a loan based on that. That's yeah. crazy to me. They're like, hey, <laughs> you know, we don't we don't have to let this nuclear stuff go to waste. We could have people walk all over it, you know? That would yeah. be fun for them. Who cares if they get cancer? They'll just put more money in our pocket when they get it to the hospital. But anyways, I I think this is, you know, quite the quite the scenario we're in with, you know, so many different factors rapidly shifting main one being the media it seems like you know now i mean i'm very young so i don't have the same perspective that you might have or your father grandfather you know our elders but it seems like now more than ever there's more information than ever for us to have access to and i don't i don't know what do you think about the media, do you think the media is collapsed? Do you think it's it's been controlled demolition? And do you think that, you know, what we're going to have in the next few years is going to, to remain as propagandized? Or do you think we're at the end of that? Boy, I mean, I, I would love for the media to go away. They really have done a bad job of, of staying relevant. They've been caught lying quite a bit. They are always at the epicenter of all of the big mysteries of our, at least in America, JFK, 9-11, COVID, climate change. They have the media is an integral part of, of these lies of telling everybody what's going on and how it's happening and who we're supposed to be mad at and 
who's responsible for this and who's not responsible for this. The media is the enemy of humanity. The mainstream corporate media, I should say, is, is, is they just really are the enemy. And I hope they go away, but, but that will require the people to recognize that they're being lied to. And, and, and it is difficult to get that message across to people. They are resistant to acknowledging that they've been a sucker in this game called this information game. We all have been, and, and there's no shame in admitting that but people need to admit that they need to admit that they've been lied to by the media and that they believed a lot of those lies. We all have. And then they need to commit to not falling into that trap anymore and not allowing themselves to outsource that very important role of figuring out what's going on to, to somebody else. Now I don't, I'm not saying that everybody has to turn into an investigative journalist, but you got to do a better job of finding sources of information that you that you can trust and that you can rely on because it, it, if you're getting your information from, from your television at night, that ain't it. That's not where, that's not the place to look. You're going to get steered into a different direction. And so the media has been important to the grift of all of this. It's been, it's been integral. They couldn't have done it without. I hope that when the, the empire comes down, the media is removed as well. But my fear, again, is that it will be replaced by something else that's even more devious. So I, I, I can live I can live with this with the media existing the way it currently does, as long as it became like Pravda was in Russia during this during the Soviet Union, which is everybody knew it was propaganda. They just they just recognized it, knew it was a lie, and then went on about their daily. They didn't. They didn't try. We laughed at the Russians and said, "Oh, they they don't even know they're they're getting propagandized to in this Pravda newspaper where it's just lies and it's just telling them." They knew the Russians. They knew. They they understood. They knew. They knew it is that they were being lied to, just like we knew they were being lied to. They just took that information and then incorporated it and then did something different. (laughs) So that's where we need to go. We need to get to a point where everybody just acknowledges that the mainstream media is lying to them. Then it takes the power away. They don't have power to control you. But when you think that they're telling you the truth and you turn, turn on the TV and it says breaking news and you go, Oh no, what what are they going to tell me? They'll tell you whatever they need to tell you to make you feel a certain way, make you, make you sad, make you scared, make you angry about Donald Trump, make you, make you, make you, make you patriotic about America, make you hate Russia, make you love Ukraine. I mean, they can make you feel however they want to make you feel if you give them enough of an opportunity. So I I say, let them exist. Just don't give them any of your energy. Don't give them any power. Don't give them any of your attention. Don't give them any of your ad revenue. Don't give them any of your energy. It's you're going to need it where we're going. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that was a big reason why they had to co-opt the daily show, you know, for 
you know, whatever John Stewart's political beliefs were at the time, he was mocking the news. He was mocking the idea of being a news reporter by reporting on the news in a satirical way. And I think that sort of opened the door, at least for my generation, for this sort of content that you see online now where you have, you know, people telling the news, but then they're also telling the news about the news tellers, right? So they're they're exposing, okay, here's what Rachel Maddow says. Here's what Anderson Cooper said. Here's what Tucker Carlson said. And here's what I found, right? You decide <laughs> for yourself who's right. I think that's what we're heading towards. And I'm really proud to know folks like yourself who are going to be replacing the media, I believe. I think, you know, that's a big part of why I started the cooperative alt media united with alex sakaris so that we can give folks like yourself who are for the most part independent uh, a place yeah. to to put your podcast that you know at least appears like you know it's it's not just some fringe thing it's it's a right. you're a real person you're a part of a thing that actually exists and you know if we could help you also make your podcast foolproof teflon sensor proof we're going to try to do that as well but i think this we is we appreciate it too. Your uh, the alt media united because we can't do it alone. Mm, right. We have to have we we have to have each other's backs. That doesn't mean agree on everything, but but it means that we have to look out for each other and protect this industry and and and, and do what we can to elevate the sane and rational voices and 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 get. The, you know, get, get some competition for the mainstream media. They've been without competition for a long time. And they, and when you have a, an industry with no competition, you pick up really bad habits. I, I would suggest they were designed to have bad habits, but, but even if you didn't, if you had no competition, you'd have no reason to, to, you know, if I, if I could mandate that everybody bought 78 copies of my book, the way it's mandated that everybody gets 78 injections of a vaccine, what would be my incentive for making my book any good? You know, just be, just be like, man, whatever. Blank I don't pages. Care. They got to buy it anyway. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Hey, here's a picture book. Fill in the blanks, you know, that kind right. of thing. Hey, here's your 400 <laughs> pages of dick jokes. Figure it out. You know, <laughs> all, all that's in there. But, but when you, when the free market or the marketplace of ideas is, is saying, I hear what you're saying, but you're going to need to show me some proof or you're going to need to explain it in a way that makes sense. That's diff. That's great. We need that. We need the free market. We need the, Adam Smith, invisible hand. That's what one of the things Berwick and I talked about, talking about the, the invisible hand of economics. You know, it's supposed to be like if you, Adam Smith says, you'll find price equal, equilibrium if you have buyers and sellers. If you're pricing your widgets too high and the other guy is pricing his lower and he's selling them and you're not selling any, well, maybe you need to adjust your price. This invisible hand will figure it all out. But what we've had for the last hundred years is the invisible middle finger given to us, the people, because the government is manipulating that, that marketplace. They're putting their, their invisible hands on it and, and tilting the playing field to benefit their guys at the expense of us. And that is that, that we, we need to, to remove that invisible hand from the, financial marketplaces, but also from the media marketplaces of ideas. We need to remove that and say, may the best suggestion or idea win, you know, and if the mainstream media has got it, great. 
If it's the best one, great. I have no, I'll, I'll say your idea wins, but I don't think it will be because I don't think they're on our side. I don't think they want the same things we want. I think they want to, they have a much different agenda. So I appreciate you. I appreciate the work that you and Alex have done on Alt Media United. I appreciate that network of people. I hope that grows into a really great resource for everybody that's interested in 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 figuring out the truth, you know, and I'm not saying that we know it all or that we have, you know, we're still working out all this, but I feel like we're at least coming from the right place. Right. And if we come from the right place and we get things wrong, people are willing to understand that because they know that we're trying to get it right. And right. so if we make a mistake, we might be able to be forgiven for it. Whereas if the mainstream media makes a mistake, I feel like it's intentional, you know? Yeah, and it wasn't always that way. I mean, you go back 20, 30 years, and there is some really cool journalists on television breaking it down, like talking about big conspiracies and things that you'd be shocked to see on mainstream television. And it just seems like, you know, the, there's a there's a gap now between, you know, what people are allowed to think and what people are thinking, you know, like I think most people are like us. They're free thinking. They're, they're probably busy with what they have going on in their lives. So they don't have much time to dedicate to this sort of thought, but, but I think they would agree if they spent time to sit down and really mull it over and stop just sort of going, 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 going. That's part of the trick, too, with this is they've, they've yeah. convinced everybody uh, that this rat race is all there's ever been to human existence and that, you know, you need the news because how else are you going to stay informed? Come on now. Don't you want to be you yeah. know, keeping up with the Jones and all that all BS, yeah. you know? So ask the Amish. Ask the Amish how they're doing. They haven't been keeping up with all the news. They're doing just fine. Yeah, that's Nothing's changed with them. They're 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 still they still have their communities. They still have their fa- we owe the Amish an apology. You guys were right. We were wrong. Of course, they'll never hear it. They'll never hear this this broadcast. I'll tell them. Which- I'll tell them. I'll go down there. I I know you said you just went to Philly, but last last a few this past summer, I went down to Lancaster and went and stayed in Amish like in an Amish area. Like we weren't in an Whoa. Amish person's house, but we were in the Amish farmland. My friend, Michael Wan, who's been on a bunch of podcasts, he, yeah. he is staying down there currently. We went and visited him and you're absolutely right. It's a whole other world. What I was surprised to learn is when they're born, they're not issued a social security number because they've, they've become exempt from any of that because they don't take on any of the obligations of, you know, the social services. So they don't need to be registered. I found that, you know, incredible. You know, I think more people need to learn about that, the power of organizing their community around a sort of you know, religion, even if they're not particularly religious, because that's part of what our, our country, you know, allows us to do, you know. We need to have, well, so after I speak at Anarchapulco this year, the following week, we need a, a, an Amishapulco, <laughs> where, where we have all the Amish go down there and they explain, like, Ezekiel is on stage one explaining woodworking, you know. And you know, That would be <laughs> incredible. I don't know. I think they might actually, they might actually be in favor of that. There's a whole underworld to it. But, Charlie, this has been fantastic. We got to wrap up right now. 
Can you please tell our audience what you're working on next and, and you know, what, what they can look forward to any books in mind. I know you got your podcast pumping out every week. I'm working on an additional podcast. We're building out the, the website where we're going to expand macroaggressions and, and have another option for it for people. So I've been working on that. I do have a fourth book I really want to write, but I'm going to have to wait a little bit until we get all this, this new stuff sorted out. So for now, macroaggressions is available everywhere in audio format. And you can find in, in video on band.video, Odyssey, Rockfin, Vigilante.tv, the website, the current website, like I said, it's going to change, but right now it's the octopus of global control.com and people can follow me on Twitter at macroaggression there. And yeah, so we'll, we do two episodes a week that will increase in the future here. And we're going to, I'm going to be incorporating a lot more article writing into this as well. So trying to get through the end of this year with uh, with my brain intact and excited for where we go. And I appreciate you having me on, man. And I, I always enjoy our conversations. I think we were able to talk. This is the benefit of podcasting as opposed to, as opposed to the late show, you know, late night with Johnny Carson, where you'd sit down on the, on the couch and you'd be there for five minutes. And that was it. You can't unpack these concepts in five minutes, but you can in the podcasting world. And so I'm, I'm grateful for our our talks, our ability to 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 really get into some of these the details of of what I consider to be really important issues that don't get the attention that they deserve. So thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, Charlie, thank you. Very kind of you to say that, and it's always a pleasure to have you here. I, I look forward to one day joining up in person, maybe at the Anarchapuco, or maybe next time you make your way out to the East Coast. But uh, until next time, Charlie, have a great moment wherever you are in the now. the 2020s then he joined us on uh, scene for his second appearance and here on the third installment of conversations with Charlie Robinson and I've spoke with him on my many different occasions joining the union of the unwanted which is an awesome show and I think he's joined in for a couple other uh, types of group shows 
So, very familiar face, friend of the show, I can say, please go support him. You heard it. The shows he does and the books he has, if you don't have those books already, pick them up, get your copy, maybe even reach out to him and ask if he'll sign a copy for you. As for me, I'm just hanging out over here. Look forward to another episode coming out soon with another co-host from the Union of the Unwanted. I'll let let it be a surprise which one it is. Um, But yeah, that's coming out soon. Got a couple other great episodes coming out soon. A Synchro Wisdom Dialogue that made its way to the main feed that's coming out soon. So stay tuned for that. And uh, thank you for tuning in, folks. I really appreciate everyone who listens to the show. I hope you have a happy Thanksgiving. Support this podcast if you can. It'll help me uh, have a happier Thanksgiving. I appreciate everyone who does and then you'll have a happier thanksgiving as well for helping out so support us with a one-time donation on paypal although paypal is a little weird so maybe venmo or cash app or go to the Kofi store you could also go to patreon or rockfin to get all of the bonus episodes that i've put out all of the synchro wisdom dialogue episodes we've got about six or seven at this point Uh, all of our bonus Illuminati confirmed episodes and a bunch of other content interviews that I've done on other shows like The Farm. If you want to hear my full interview on The Farm with Steven Snyder, a whole two and a half hours, you can find that on my Patreon. You can also find it on Steven Snyder's Patreon, which I just became a supporter of after listening to a few episodes about the albacore mystery so i highly recommend you go and listen to his latest two episodes about this albacore mystery it's fascinating stuff and uh yeah in honor of that i was thinking we can get a group of patreon supporters together to do a little watch along uh, watch some of the movies that were mentioned by Steven and maybe even have Steven present. It will be a Patreon only episode uh, where folks who watched the episode join us to discuss it and we'll have a watch along before that. But um, yeah, a lot of cool stuff as we move into the next year. As I said on the last episode, We're going to be changing things up around episode 250, possibly getting a new intro song. Uh, Shout out to Destiny Lab. Everybody always asks me, who made the intro song? Who made the intro song? Who made the rap song? It's a group called Destiny Lab. You could find them on Spotify, on YouTube. I might ask them to make a new one. Uh, I did before, but I dropped the ball and never sent them any audio clips. And they're busy guys over there, so I didn't want to bug them. Uh, But I have recently uh, met a new rapper who provided the outro song that you've heard on the past few episodes and this episode. And I also have uh, paid a guy named Luke Halizna uh, through the Patreon support and just uh, through a one-time donation uh, for these... I think it was a one-time donation. Maybe that was someone else. Um, for the other rap songs that you hear that are all custom made for this podcast. They're not rap songs that I found anywhere. I custom made them 
uh, not myself. I would just basically gave them an idea and they ran with it. And 10 out of 10 times, it's gone great. Really, it's only been three times. Uh, so yeah, that's that's the gist of it, folks. Uh, I really appreciate anyone who cares enough to ask me about what the song is because I put a lot of thought into that kind of stuff, those little touches on the show. So look forward to maybe me changing that up every so many episodes. I don't know how many episodes. Every 250 episodes seems like a lot, but we'll see. Um, anyways, the more support we get, the cooler stuff we can do. You know, uh, I will say Steven Snyder, I noticed he's going uh, on all these really cool trips to investigate different things. It's something that we plan on doing on this show, uh, especially for spring 2023. So this winter, I'm going to hunker down, I'm going to save up some cash, build the podcast up, build the following up, build the Patreon up, build the Rockfin up, and uh, yeah, make this into a sort of uh, self-sufficient entity where... You know, the podcast is paying for more than just my uh, livelihood, right? We want to invest in bigger and greater things. So that's the goal. That's what we're setting here, the intention. And if you resonate with that, help out. Send a one-time donation. Uh, Join us on Telegram. Join in the Telegram group. Send me a guest suggestion if you have any guest suggestions. Or hit me up yourself via email my uh, email is mfticpodcast at gmail.com you can reach out to me there directly with a guest suggestion whether you're suggesting yourself or uh, someone else please do that it always helps that's about it Uh, oh one last thing big shout out to the hit kit hit kit.us go to the hit kit you've heard me talk about it before it's a really cool way to store your lighter it just clicks right in just like that and then you got your blunts your joints whatever you roll up nice and safe and sound is perfect if you're going to you know a sporting event a music festival a hike or if you're just a crazy person like me and you you drive around smoking blunts so uh that is our only sponsor and you say, Mark, you are value for value. Now you have sponsors. Well, these sponsors, they agree with my values. So they are no different than the listeners of the show in a way. Um, so I don't know. Keep that in mind. We haven't really compromised on the value for value thing, but it is a value for value driven show. Uh, I make most of the income from the podcast from the patreon and then it goes back into the podcast uh hypothetically speaking (laughs) when everything's going smoothly and i can uh invest in things like new microphones and uh more time spent on episodes and things like that so anyways enough of the rambles here thanks for being here folks and enjoy the moment wherever you are in the now I gotta know the truth, don't you hold back Cause I ain't getting caught up in the soul trap I dissect the fabric of reality 
searching through the galaxy, you might be feeling stressed out. Depression, anxiety, it's no measure for help to be well adjusted to a sick society. You don't even know how powerful you are. We the ones who gonna expose the whole facade. Broadcasting the moon matrix from the lunar surface, they want you confused. Like you never knew your purpose Hopping through the portals Dismantling the machine My family thinks I'm crazy I can't believe what I've seen Memories of a war Of the Pleiadians and Anunnaki Stuck within the genes Of a copy of a human body DNA fractal The universe within me Epiphanies of science Is hoarded by the Illuminati Puppet masters know The power of the mantra Repeating mad lies Till it has an effect on you Repetitive messaging And big pharma injections Tricking the population With holographic projections We see through it and the system is unraveling I'm astral traveling Through the library of the Vatican On a sacred journey I embark with the squad Keep spitting that truth Like Mark on the pod I gotta know the truth Don't you hold back Cause I ain't getting caught up In the soul trap I dissect the fabric of reality Looking for the answers Searching through the galaxy You might be feeling stressed out Depression, anxiety It's no measure for help To be well adjusted To a sick society You don't even know How powerful you are the ones who gonna expose the whole facade. It's all a setup.